0: Today on Locked On Canadians, are the criticisms of Shea Weber unfair in Montreal now that he has left? We have our long-awaited Cole Caulfield player review for this season. We wanted to give you something delightful because first we have to talk about the Hockey Canada hearings. All that's coming up in just one moment on Locked On Canadians.
1: For Locked On Canadians, your daily podcast on the Montreal Canadiens, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
0: And welcome to episode six hundred and forty-one of Locked On Canadians. We are free and available wherever you get your podcasts, as well as on YouTube. So please subscribe so that you don't miss a single episode. My name is Laura Saba. Also also known as the Active Stick and I'm one of your hosts. I forgot who I was there for a second. And I'm joined <laughs> as always by the wonderful Scott Matla of Habs Eyes on the Prize. And today we're going to be talking about whether she- the criticisms leveled against Shea Weber now that he's out of town are fair. We're going to talk some delightful Cole Caulfield play review for the season. And we're also going to talk about the Hockey Canada hearings. Uh, obviously not, uh, not the greatest point to start off on. So just so you know, we will be talking about that in the first segment. So if you need to prepare yourself, we won't won't be saying anything explicit, but we will be discussing the topic. Um, If you want to prepare yourself, just skip ahead about seven or eight minutes so that you'll get into our uh, second and third segments so you won't miss those. Uh, However, like I said, we won't be discussing anything explicit. We'll just be expressing our opinions on the hearings. Scott, how are you doing today on this starting to get quite humid Tuesday evening? Uh, Monday evening, sorry. It's a Tuesday episode on Monday evening. I don't know what day it is. I don't know who I am. This is a great start (laughs) to this episode. Scott, will you please take over?
1: locked on existential crises um <laughs> i'm all right uh i was a lot better before reading this the quotes out of the hockey canada hearings the parliamentary hearings and it's it, it it's not great with the stanley cup final going on the memorial cup going on the draft around the corner this should be hockey's you know jubilee celebration here and this puts a damper over all of that. And not because, oh, it ruins the mood. It's because it's horrific. And in the past couple years, we've seen so many kind of black eyes on the sport of hockey here that this is part of that. And this relates to the incident involving, I believe it was the 2017 or 20. In that time frame, an alleged uh, sexual assault took place or a confirmed one because they've settled with the victim of this, and this was a hearing about whether Hockey Canada actually, uh, I believe, did their due diligence and acted as they should have about all this that's happening. And there is a quote from the president of Hockey Canada that, to me, is horrifying in that Hockey Canada president Scott Smith said he believes the organization has dealt with one to two allegations of sexual assault per year over the span of the last five to six years. What? And how was this not front page news? How is this not, how was this covered up that people did not hear about this? And I, if they are handling this and it's being handled that players are, you know, being punished or whatnot, but we don't know. I look at this and I go, that's horrifying. And that's just the ones they know of, or that have been reported to them and who knows what else. And it's, It's all so very ugly. And some of the responses from the heads of Hockey Canada today were just not good enough across the board. Someone blamed the pandemic for them being behind on player education. This event occurred before the COVID-19 pandemic began.
0: By two years. By
1: two years. You cannot blame a pandemic for basic education and respect for other people. Do not do sexual assault is not a thing that should be like, we're behind on this. What? What do you mean you're behind on this? That should be a pretty simple concept before they got to that point. If a player doesn't understand that, you kick them out of your organization. And yes. it's, I'm sorry for having this rant right away. It's, Why I Why are just... you
0: apologizing? It is unconscionable. I think this is, this is one of the things is that the same day that the hearings happened at The Athletic, Katie String, Ian Mendez, and Dan Robson, who are, have become quite the um, the powerhouse trio of of reporting on difficult things and and complicated issues uh, were you know they did a, they did a feature a piece on how this kind of culture uh, is allowed to permeate the game of hockey. And there are a lot of reasons for it, right? Part of it is that the education doesn't start at a young enough age for these players to learn how to respect women and to respect themselves. Part of it is all the hazing rituals and things like that. They become victims of abuse themselves, and then they turn that that abuse onto each other or other people, often women, because they're perceived to be, you know, the next weakest uh, group of people that they can perpetrate assault on. The key for the hearings was that because Hockey Canada is an organization that receives government funds, um, and they're in charge of a lot of things, right? And one of the things that I did not appreciate in the hearings was they brought up the Hockey Canada, the women's gold medal as I don't know, like, one or the other, like, it, 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 like just the fact that you're supporting the women to get to the point of a, getting a gold medal does not mean that covering up sexual assault is okay. And the thing that I think was the most galling to me was the fact that, yes, the terms of the settlement were that the victim did not want to be named, and so the victim also did not want to name the perpetrators, so there was sort of a, you know, like, they, they, Paid a three and a half million dollar settlement. They claimed that it wasn't of government funds or sponsorship money or anything like that. It was through investments. They liquidated some investments they had made. But that was the whole premise of of uh, you know our government being able to hold these hearings. And for I have to say, as a as as a Canadian, um, I felt that my government was working for me at this time. Like my elected representatives were doing their job in uh taking them to task, and they were being quite uh they were being quite firm and strong and harsh they were asking a lot of questions that they weren't really getting answers to uh one mp from the bloc quebecois was said that you know in my mind you're john doe number nine in all of this i think that like those are very strong words and you know there are a lot of details and things like that it's a non-disclosure we're not allowed we're bound by our commitment to the to, to the victim to not say anything or to the survivor or to the alleged survivor all of that the fact of the matter is that Hockey Canada settled a lawsuit on behalf of the CHL as well, not just them, and they use the words we took responsibility. When they asked, like, why are you paying out the settlement? They said, we took responsibility. However, they don't even know, or they claim not to know who these players were. So they're settling a lawsuit on behalf of players that they don't even know who they are that is not taking responsibility. That is a cover-up. And so I understand that they're not using government funds, but at the same time, none of this helps the culture of sexual assault in hockey. It does not help the culture of abuse in hockey. I think that you know, as fans, and especially like people like us, you know, like, like I said, these are my elected re- representatives, right, working for me as, as as a Canadian, I think that we need to hold our government to task. And we need to hold these organizations to task and keep talking about this to make sure that this culture does not continue. And it's a lot, it's, it's going to take a lot of work. And if you read the article, that amazing article at The Athletic, um, there's a lot of things that can be done at a much earlier stage. But at this point, Hockey Canada right now is complicit. And if you want to take that stuff out of the game, you have you have to be accountable. And that's not what they were doing. They said they took responsibility, but that was not accountability. That was settling without even really understanding the facts. They commissioned an independent report, but they didn't really... like. How can you commission an independent report and then say that you don't know who the players are? Presumably, the investigating law firm handed you a report right anyway all this is just to say is that it's not this is not the way to handle sexual assault in hockey i'm hopeful that at least the settlement will give the victim some peace and enable her to take care of herself but other than that beyond that like hockey canada's actions to me were not constructive in any way
1: there's one quote that i want to leave off on before we go into our next segment here is An MP was questioning Scott Smith about using the phrase, we borrow them, about players in terms of Hockey Canada. And she said to him, if they do something while you are borrowing them, you're accountable for their actions. And every part about this is that Hockey Canada seems to be going, well, we don't know who they are. And here's all this stuff that we can't tell you. There's no – they're not – the MPs who questioned them today did a very thorough job and did a very good job in raking them over the coals and made a bunch of people basically admit that they didn't do their jobs properly. And anyone who was involved in this, who was questioned today should not be working for hockey Canada any further after this, because it's very clear they are not cut out for this job and handling this and handling these serious cases. And, I think that's where we should leave it off for right now. Obviously, there will be more news on this in the near future. This is not going away, nor should it be going away anytime soon. And like Laura said, we hope that the victim in this and any of the other ones who are named in these apparently regularly occurring assaults find some manner of peace uh, at the end of all of this or something maybe finally changes. But it... it, it the sport of hockey has been resistant, and I it almost feels like it's... I don't know what to say anymore. They keep finding new lows every single week, it feels like.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say one thing, is that if you do not hold these players accountable, if you do not do a thorough enough job of investigating once you are told... They said they referred it to the police, and then they're like, ah, and then they gave money. It's like, these people are going to go to NHL teams or AHL teams, or professional leagues in the in Europe, these people are going to become coaches, assistant coaches, development people. Like, all these people are going to have careers in hockey. They're not responsible members of the community. So without doing a thorough enough investigation, how are you protecting the public at large? As a public entity. Anyway, that's the last thing I'm going to say on this because we do want to bring some joy and some debate back into Locked On Canadians. And in just one moment, we are going to talk about Cole Caulfield, try to hope to turn everybody's mood back up a little bit. And that's all coming up in just one moment. But first, Built Bar. You know Built Bar. We love Built Bar. Built Bar makes us happy. Why? Because it's a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. It is delicious. It's chock full of protein. It's low in sugar and always made with real chocolate. They've got granola bars. They've got Built Puffs. They're so, so good. And every single one of them will fit into your lifestyle for me they're portable they're good on the go i forget meals a lot i will have a built bar to keep me satiated until my next meal you know sometimes i have an energy crash at 3 p.m i'll have a built bar it'll build me back up so i can finish my work day as you know i have two jobs i'm a very busy person and built bar literally saves my life and they are so 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 delicious so if you want that energy you want that treat high in protein, low in sugar made with real chocolate, go to built.com and enter promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. That's LOCKED15 for 15% off your order. All right, Scott, let's talk about something that's going to bring people some joy.
1: All right. So we are talking about Cole Caulfield then, and we will have a bit on Shea Weber at the end of the show here. It, It... we talk a lot about season splits and like having a, you know a tale of two seasons when someone has a hot first half and a cold second half or vice versa. And Cole Caulfields was so extreme that it gave people whiplash. In that he started the year slowly, went to the AHL, had a real strong showing, had to get called up immediately due to injuries, and then Dominique Ducharme just kind of didn't know what to do with him, and then Ducharme got fired. And immediately after that, Cole Caulfield was just this completely different re-engaged destroyer of worlds with the puck on his stick in that the his pacing numbers under Martin Saint-Louis being like 90 points and like 47 goals in a season brings me such immense joy. Do I think he's going to play at that same pace where he's scoring on like every third or fourth shot? No. Do I think he's going to hit 35 goals potentially, maybe in his sleep? Absolutely, yes. I, I don't know if it was just St. Louis being the right coach for him, if it was just, hey, that anchor from before, you know, the former coach, he's just off your back for the time being. But how could you not love at least the second half of this year from Cole Even the first half, he was trying, damn it. Even if it wasn't great and the results weren't there, he was one of the most dangerous skaters most nights. It's just you can tell when someone's overthinking it and they don't have the luck on their side. And that was Cole. Cole lost his smile for a while and he got it back in a big way. I I I look forward to a full year of Cole Caulfield and Martin St. Louis. Two short kings doing short king things for the Canadians.
0: I want to note something that we have talked about both on this podcast and on Game Over Montreal is that Cole Caulfield, before arriving in Montreal, overachieved at every level, right? And when we say overachieved, everybody knew he was a skilled player who knew how to score goals. But people knocked his size. People knocked a lot of times like, oh, he's not scoring a million goals in the World Juniors or whatever. And then you look at his usage, right? Cole Caulfield has an amazing talent. But you have to be able to use him correctly. And I think that one of the things that happens in a young player's life, particularly one that sees success at so many levels repeatedly and in succession, is that once you're hit with some adversity, and when I say adversity, I mean being in a situation that wasn't, you know, bringing out the best in him sometimes you get to overthinking things and you lose faith in yourself it happens to a lot of players we see it happen in a lot of players and i think for him it was particularly pronounced because instead of the coach putting him in a position where he showed confidence the coach kept demoting him and it was kind of like for me that's reinforcement in your head that you can't do this at this level right and there was no there was absolutely no reason for him to lose faith in his own game but it feels like everything that was dysfunctional about the Canadians just kind of really, really affected him. It wasn't just just a usage. It wasn't just that he had a scoring slump. It wasn't, you know, it was a whole bunch of, it was a confluence of things. But what I really like about him is that all he needed was one small switch, push, whatever you want to call it with Marty Louis Giving him a little bit more faith, a little bit more attention, a little bit more conversation. And the organization changing the way that they deal with these young guys we talked about how arpin and, and chantal um Maccabay were talking about how kocofield is being allowed to showcase his personality a lot more and be himself right if you're trying to stifle somebody's creativity off the ice uh, very often you're sending a message that you're stifling their creativity overall that they don't belong or that they have to change who they are right so i think there's a whole lot of that but the canadians you know, it's not just Martin Saint-Louis. It's, it's the Canadians' approach to him as well. He is going to be a star in this league. He is a dangerous player. He is so young and he's got such a bright future ahead of him. And he's got such a good relationship with his current centre and possibly ongoing centre. We don't know what's going to happen when the Canadians, you know, draft first overall and then what happens with the with the centre depth there. But he was just given a little bit of freedom and a little bit of faith and then what he did was he turned everything around and for me that says it all right he changed his attitude he continued to be a positive upbeat fun personality in the locker room they all loved him right like the team the players the players loved him and that's something that i think is so like it's so important like that allowing somebody to just be joyful and cheerful and enjoy playing the game of hockey Like you get to play hockey for a living right And you're so good at it so i think for me the fact that he was able to turn it around completely with small changes that to me says a lot about you know his his ability in the future to recover from slumps like this is not the first time he's going to have a scoring slump this is not the first time he's going to play below his own expectations of himself but what he learned this season is going to be so valuable for him in the future especially as the canadians continue to play their young guys in their rebuild I'm just really excited to see. And so that is our season review for Cold Coffee. I know it's a little bit late. It is currently, you know, June 20th, June 21st, by the time you're hearing this episode. But we wanted to space out our player reviews and then so many guests and stuff kept happening. And we have some cool guests coming up later this week. We're going to be talking about Kane goolie and the Memorial Cup and the Edmonton Oil Kings, but mostly Kane Uh, And then we've got potentially uh, a hockey player lined up, a prospect. Uh, we want to hear about what it's like to be in the conversation to be drafted this year. Uh, We also have some cool guests that some of you have been asking us for for a long time. We haven't confirmed, but we're about 80 to 90% sure that next week we've got like some really, really cool guests that you've wanted us to have on the show. Uh, And that's all coming up later, you know, but today we're going to talk about, we're going to end our show with our final segment in just one moment where we talk about are the criticisms that have been leveled at Shea Weber? at this point, now that he's gone, are they fair or not? That's coming up in our next segment. All right, folks. Shea Weber. The Shea Weber era is gone. I honestly thought or I honestly expected a lot more sadness, a lot less dancing on the proverbial grave and a lot less criticism of Shea Weber. I mean, our whole idea that Shea Weber, you know, when he came to Montreal, he did everything that he was able to do and he needed to do to try and succeed in this market seemed, I guess not everybody's in agreement. It's not just us, right? It's it's the, it's the opinion that we have um, and that's meeting disagreement in the market. And so I want to talk a little bit about that because, Scott, you wrote an article and, and you also were disagreed with pretty heavily about this. And then at the, the flip side, there's people that are criticizing Shea Weber a lot and what he's done in, or or what he accomplished or didn't accomplish in Montreal. And they're getting argued with as well. Like, I didn't think that the debate was going to be so contentious.
1: I, the Shea Weber era is, it's complicated because he was brought in to be a guy to push the Canadians to a Stanley Cup in that Mark Bergevin looked at this and went, We need Shea Weber's style and leadership to get us over the hump here, to get us to that next level. I don't think P.K. Subban can do that. Shea Weber can do that. And they brought him in. They were a very good team under Claude Julien uh, with Shea Weber here. And then the wheels fell off when the scoring kind of dried up a little bit and the goaltending wasn't great. They brought in Dominique Ducharme. And obviously they went on that run. And my criticisms have never been of Shea Weber, the player, except for when he was playing injured, which I still think was a mistake and a very stupid thing to do. Shea Weber is what he's always been. He's a nasty, physical, hard-shooting defenseman. His shot is game-breaking. There are very few people in the NHL who can shoot the puck as hard as Shea Weber can. Even injured, I still think that right now. So some of the things that I've seen leveled at him today were that he just never got it done in Montreal and that's his fault in this. That's unfair because Shea Weber did not construct the team around him. Shea Weber was failed by the management group to insulate this team and to get them the pieces they need to truly get over the hump until he was out of that prime window there. Was he still a useful defenseman? Yes. But they loaded up with Toffoli and Josh Anderson and these other pieces in the last year that Weber was able to play hockey. And then that was it. And then the team was terrible the next year and it wouldn't have mattered if he was there or not. They were not good. And I think it's unfair to levy the criticisms that Shea Weber, the player who was brought in and played what he did. He was nasty. He got in people's face. He shot the puck hard And he was, you know, kind of that stoic leader on the ice. Maybe not the loudest guy in the room, but you don't always need that. And it's just the team around him wasn't built to succeed in that they never found him a good, true puck moving defenseman partner. They tried Mike Riley. They tried, um, I want to say Alexander Romanov for a little bit. They tried Victor Mete and they never stuck with anything long enough to get it to work or they never went out and actually spent the money on it to make it work. And that's not Shea Weber's fault. And it's far from his fault. Hockey is not a one man sport. It's not his fault that the team didn't win a Stanley cup far from it. They ran into friggin' Tampa Bay who is on the quest for a three peat right now. That's not his fault. You can criticize that his style might've been out of date. And if he was utilized effectively, it could still be useful. There's a spot for big bruising defensemen, nasty guys in this league. There's never not been a place for that if you use them properly. The way the team was constructed and the coaching staffs that were in place were playing a style that went out of date six, seven years ago at this point. And they did not update their game plans and did not insulate Weber the way that he needed to to continue to perform at his best. And I will not criticize Weber the player for things that are out of his control. And I think people that are doing that, it's unfair. And it's just looking for cheap controversy and things at the end of the day. And I thought Weber was a fine captain. I thought he was a very good player for the Canadians. It's just, he win a Stanley Cup. You know, us didn't win a Stanley Cup. A lot of people. What are you going to do? It's the hardest trophy in sports to win. I don't know what else. I don't know how else to phrase it. And if you're going to be unfair in your criticism, I'm not going to be fair in my criticism of your article then either.
0: And that's, I think, what I find really interesting is that Scott, you and I have gotten into trouble over the years for not uh, praising Shea Weber enough. Um, and, you know, people thought we had it out for him. But no, like, you know what? Here's the thing is that this podcast, we're here to give our opinions. We talk about the news of the day. We talk about the games that take place. We talk about the players on the ice. And we had serious reservations about how he was being used. But at the end of the day, none of those things were Shea Weber's fault, right? And the thing is with Shea Weber is that he gave it his all, no matter what, whether he had enough left in the tank or not. That that's another story, but that's also, you know, it's partly who was around him, who was there, who was his supporting cast was, and how the coaches used him. And I think, you know, I think it's really interesting that 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 we're we're, we're here. Quote unquote defending him. I think, in order to be fair, and the thing is, like we talk about the Mark Bergevin era now that it's past, we're talking about the toxicity of the last few months of the Mark Bergevin era. So that permeates a lot of our criticism. And it's not, you know, good things did happen over the course of the time that Mark Bergevin was here. And he did make decisions that we did agree with. And whether or not you agreed with the trade, the, the, the trade that brought Shea Weber here, at the end, it did work out right? It worked out in that, no, Montreal did not get an actual Stanley Cup, but he was a very serviceable player here. He was a leader. He was an off-ice leader as well. And People keep talking about the Guy Lafleur funeral. He was there for the funeral. He wasn't there for the tribute, but he was there for the funeral, right? And all the players were. And I think that that's something that, I think that's something that, you know, people keep like fixating on that one point, and they forget about all the other things that he did in this market off the ice that were that showed leadership that showed good community um i guess community community membership right like and, and it, that's the thing and it's like he got criticized a whole lot and for me i just i find that it's really unfair that now that he's gone all the claws are coming out right and i just the guys not going to play hockey again. He gave it his all until his very last moment. They got so close to winning a Stanley Cup, they just didn't, right? Like, if they'd only won three more games, if only, that was it, right? But they didn't have it in them. And it wasn't, he wasn't the only one. And so, no, it's not, it's not like a whole thing where like, it's only Marc Bergevin did everything wrong and Shea Weber did everything right. No, there's a little bit more nuance to that. But at the same time, the criticisms of Shea Weber, we find, are quite unfair when you don't take into account the context and everything we say on the show is about context.
1: It's very odd to me is that over the years, like why isn't he around the team more? why isn't he this? It's like one, we're still in a pandemic. So like maybe leave him be like, there's no reason to, you know, potentially expose him or other people outside the team to this. And also he doesn't have any, um, I don't want to say reason. I can't think of the word right now. He doesn't have. Obligation. The ex- that, that's the word. Thank you. He doesn't have to have the obligation to be there. He goes, he gets checked on, and then he goes with his wife and kids and enjoys the peace and quiet. Shea Weber is not a guy who wants the limelight. He wants to be the quiet leader, and that's fine. And doing this criticism after he's been traded feels gutless almost, that it's like, what are you criticizing at this point? He's never going to play hockey again. That probably hurts more than anything you could ever say. And you're still kind of kicking him while he's down. And that don't jive with me at all.
0: Yeah. Because the I, thing is, like, at the end of the day, he did everything that was asked of him.
1: And that's it. Yeah. He was there. He was the captain of the Canadians. He played a ton of minutes. He blocked a ton of shots, threw a ton of hits, etc. cetera. I don't know what else you could want short of a Stanley Cup. And he darn sure tried to give you that, too. I, the last image we're going to have a Shea Weber in a Canadians uniform is him and Carrie price, you know, in near tears or in tears on the ice at the end of game five there. And that sucks considering they both might not, well, we know Weber's not going to play and we don't know about price. I, I think just all, leveling this stuff at him is just lazy, irresponsible. And quite frankly, it's garbage and I'm going to call it garbage and I don't really care. The author of said piece and doing this can yell at me all they want. I don't really care because Shea Weber deserved better than this, especially from you. And you know that. Kicking him when he's not here and he's gone is gutless. And I'm not like the biggest fan of the trade. I never was. But I'm not going to unfairly criticize a guy like this. Just That's get the out thing. of my it's face like,
0: with it. Yeah. And he was playing old and broken, right? Like there's only so much you can get out of a player like that. But it was the most that you could get out of a player like that. He did the most with what he had. And I think that's the thing that we kind of need to remember. And for me, I don't know, I haven't heard any horrible stories of him off the ice that are kind of people are defending other players that have legitimately been accused of and and proven to have done horrible things. So, for me, I think it's just like a little bit disingenuous when people kind of the same the same people make those two different arguments anyway that's what i'm going to leave this episode with hopefully tomorrow i remember my own name who i am and what day it is in the meantime we will be back tomorrow and for the rest of the week we are here five days a week up until i think about uh i think mid-july after free agency we'll go down to three days a week until the season starts up again but subscribe to our podcast wherever you get your podcast or on youtube in order to get all of our episodes like i said we've got potentially more than one hockey prospect coming up but we have at least one lined up We've also lined up some more prospect experts, some of whom you have been requesting since the beginning of time. So we're very excited about that. We're leading up to the draft. We're hoping to be actually at the draft covering it. So we've got tons of fun stuff. So please subscribe, please tell your friends and also rate and review as well so other people will find us. You can find us on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can email us at lockedoncanadians at gmail.com. You'll find Scott on Twitter at... At Scott Matley, you'll find me at The Active Stick. Check out Lockdown NHL, where right now they're covering the Stanley Cup final that is going on as we record this. And in the meantime, thank you so much for listening. We will talk to you tomorrow.